Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the second week of the fall 2017 anime season. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Really? Hey, my voice is back. And nice. it didn't cost me a whole bunch. But it's back. <laughs> sort of. We'll see what happens. Film it a little. Ben. Yo. And Aaron is also here somewhere, hidden it, in the depths of the earth. I lost uh, my cricket sounds again. As you, always, you can find show notes at www.projectre.net or at www.audioentropy.com. And let's start off this episode with uh, the most mediocre of episodes this uh, this week, Fate Apocrypha, episode 14. Uh, they fought a golem that was rewriting reality, I guess? Look, I... Mm. I'm not sure what the point of this episode was, to be perfectly honest. Uh, well, they had to get rid of... They had to get rid of Caster somehow. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's true. Because he pretty um, much, uh... He had pretty much served his purpose, and the story no longer needed him, so he had to go. Yeah. Uh, it was... A fight scene happened, the the servants combined their powers, uh, Mordred did a cool thing, I guess, and then it kind of ended, and then there's an Africrat scene where Mordred's uh, master met with uh, Chirons, and they were like, yeah, sure, it's nice to have relax for a bit before we have to kill each other again. And then that was the end of the episode. There's... There is nothing to talk about with this episode of Fate Apocrypha. Mm. So a number of round one sounds like to where to start. I mean, I'm not going to give it like a bad score. Well, kind of a bad <laughs> score, but not like really bad because I don't think it deserves that. It's just such, it was just such a nothing episode. A it letdown. Was, it was middling. So I will give yeah. it. A, I will give it a three. I will give it a two. And I don't think Aaron's watching it anymore because I think he got fed up with it. Which you know, fair. Uh, let's move on to Altair episode thirteen. <clears throat> yeah. Now this was much better. Oh yes, significantly. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, uh, Pasha's uh, way of uh, punishing people turns out to be. Uh, much more palatable than uh, uh, the storyline was making it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, again, like, I don't think he was ever going to turn into the uh, the sort of, like, ruthless uh, Pasha that kind of the others were made out to be. Like, he was... The way that they're, uh, they're uh, developing Mamut's character is that, um, you know... Initially, he was kind of, like, naive, uh, and now he's learning how to temper his idealism with pragmatism, but still also act on that idealism whenever, you know, possible. Uh, so... Yeah, and his... Yeah, and actually, his solution had, like... Yeah, his solution, basically, because after... Because, yeah, like, the main decisive moment in this episode... Was that after Fatima surrendered, like, <clears throat> like the standard practice, the standard practice was would be was to 
you know, to execute her because she had basically rebelled against the, you know, rebelled against Turkey. Yeah. And, you know, but, you know, you had uh, her son, you know, who's going to be the next sultan, you know, after a, you know, after a regency period, you know, her son declaring that, you know, if they kill her, then he would, like, never forgive you know, uh, and so hate you forever. Yeah, yeah. and Mammoth so made Mammoth made the logical like decision, noting that like unlike the other characters uh, who were seasoned politicians who know who just knew how this stuff went, uh, the kid was not. <laughs> right, and so yeah. So the problem is, <clears throat> so the yeah. So the problem is is that you know if they kill her. Then, if they kill her, then the kid, once he grows up and, and takes power, because they really don't have a plausible alternative sultan for that uh, place, uh, you know, he was going to, you know, <laughs> he was going to remember that Turkey killed his mother. Yeah. And thus, yeah. he would plot against, he would plot against them and destabilize the whole thing. Like I said, does there... The discretion is the better part of Valor bit, and it worked. Uh, it worked quite well in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, it surprised everybody. Everybody's like, "Well, wait a minute, you can't do that." Uh, yeah, I just did. Okay. Well, yeah. Take take your problems up elsewhere. So. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I I like the resolution. I I was kind of hoping for something along those lines, and I got it. So yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I thought. I thought. I thought this was a great episode. I give it a five. Yeah, I agree. Yep. yep. I uh, I wholeheartedly give it a five. Okay, uh, so let's move on to the reflection episode twelve. That had a. It had an ending, I guess. <laughs> it was real weird. It was a mixed uh, bag. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was kind of I was stoked that the four girls turned out to be magical girls because why not? But also that's a really weird reference to an actual idol group <laughs> by calling them nine nine or like that. That was some strange referencing there. Uh, but uh, for the most part, I liked the lead up to the ending, but the actual ending was bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, and well, yeah, like like the reveals that came out the reveals that came out like raised more questions than they answered. Yeah, especially like the part where Exxon says, like, aha, see, you thought I actually had powers. And then that's like that's maybe the biggest twist in the entire series, and then no one mentions it after that line. <laughs> right. Well uh, well he has well, he has powers. I mean he has the ability to copy other powers, but he is not actually a reflected. So the reflection, the reflection was not the original source of his copy power. Yeah, and like that's the whole big thing with him. And then it, the show just drops that, uh, and it's a weird decision. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a whole well, a whole lot of noodling about light and darkness, which really was. Pointless. Oh God. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, nice seeing Eleanor come back. Yeah, yeah, Eleanor being back for a bit, that was cool. Um, 
Also, how the ending wasn't, like, really an ending. I mean, I guess they defeated the antagonist of this season, but then they just raised way more questions, and also, like, the event is apparently back. Or something. Yeah, or something akin to it. I yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, they, like, left open... It's like, they left open, like, a hook for a whole other season. <laughs> Which, they really didn't need to do that. Because it's, yeah, gonna, it's just gonna... No. It's just gonna be frustrating, because it's like... Yeah, okay, so they left open this... You know, they left open this thing, and like, okay, so when is there gonna be another season? And it's probably not going to be for a while. Yeah, yeah, if if ever, really. Because <laughs> who knows how well the reflection actually did. I'm always skeptical. Uh, I'd like it to do well enough to warrant a sequel, but I'm always skeptical about how well sort of like these like more... I don't want to say indie, but like not Shonen Jump superhero shows too like it ain't no my hero academy yeah well studio dean is usually about usually good about sticking with things you know they they generally don't like just drop things after a season but who knows yeah i yeah i i still like the reflection a lot i just wish it had ended a bit better and less strangely um yeah so i'm gonna give this episode a three and the series as a whole a four i think yeah same here i kind of a low four but still in there uh yeah this episode gets a three from me all right uh let's talk about juni tyson episode two <clears throat> Okay, it's uh, yeah, good fun. Except they it continues this po- this uh, it continues the practice of like having like the internal monologue talking over the dialogue, which I which they did which the thing which annoyed me about the previous episode, and they keep doing it, and it's still annoying. But- yeah. Also, the more per- the more people talk, the like higher number of death flags you get. Yeah, it it always seems like if if the focus care if there is a focus character of an episode that is not monkey, that is the one that will die next. <laughs> so. So yeah, so this time the focus character is the dog. Yeah, poor dog. Um, what? which is a shame because I actually kind of liked his whole deal, but. Well, I mean, you knew he was going to die pretty quick with the, oh, I can just nullify the poison. It's like, all right, well, then you're going to die. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was kind of interesting how he uh, he actually brought about his un- his own undoing by by thinking, okay, yeah, okay, I'm going to use the chicken. I'm going to, like, use the chicken as a decoy, uh, you know, you know, by dope, you know, doping her up. You know, okay, do- yeah, I did like that part. <laughs> and then, so she used the, so like, so then she just uses the, like, enhanced strength she got from the doping to just crush the dog's head. Yeah. <laughs> Which, it's like, oh, well, that, that'll work, I guess. 
that was I thought that was a I thought that was great. I really hope Chicken doesn't die next week, if only so that they can stop with the uh, the reverse uh, Chinese Zodiac deaths. Because so oh, far, yeah. it's been the reverse of the Chinese Zodiac has been the death order. Yeah, I sort of figured that they would pull something like that. Yeah, well, like see, so far, so far, the death the deaths have been uh, the snake, the uh, the snake, the boar, and the dog. Yeah. Also, also, just because I want to see like murder chicken get more than just one episode. <laughs> also, because I like saying the words "murder chicken." Uh, that said, I I really like horse. <laughs> just which like, one is horse? Uh, he is the one who uh, the big dude who like when he tried to go through the turnstile got stuck for a second because he's oh. just too big. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he tried to make peace with Ox. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, what's up? Why don't we <laughs> ox draw a sword?" Oh, crap. yeah. I hope he. I hope he survives this for one more episode because he's adorable. <laughs> he's like, "Hey, hey, why, why don't we just talk things?" Oh, this isn't gonna end well for me. It's like, nope, not happening. Uh, but yeah, I am actually. I think I honestly think this episode was a little better than the previous episode, mostly because the other characters were more interesting and less irritating than Boar was. And also um, the whole episode wasn't dedicated to her. Yeah, ex- exactly, yeah. We actually got uh, um, uh, points of view from the other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I overall I think this episode was uh, significantly uh, better, honestly. Uh, I'll, the, but yeah, like it still had the issue where the, the whole there's a lot of internal monologue, and it is mostly not necessary uh so yeah I'll i'm still definitely it glad that i'm watching it subtitled can you imagine trying to make that stuff out oh god just from uh listening to it yeah that would be not fun yeah uh yeah i'm gonna give this episode a four because other than the internal monologuing solid solid episode also horse looks like the like someone from uh the like uh hotoko no ken series Oh, yeah, Hokuto Ken, yeah. I was going to say, like, he almost looks like he should be in Sengoku Basara. <laughs> but Hokuto no Ken is probably a little bit more accurate because just because he's just a big muscle man. Mm-hmm. And the ox is just a matador. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on to... UQ Holder, episode two. So, Dustin, what were you saying that you liked about the first episode? Oh, you know, how it, it mostly didn't fall for kind of the gross sexist tropes that existed in most of Negima. And? And so, of course, episode two of UQ Holder had to go back to those tropes. Uh, where not... There's just so many things that they crammed in this episode that... Seemed designed to just piss me off, complete with the whole like uh, meeting a new character naked, uh, with the twist that oh they were actually a boy, which okay, 
Um, and then his constant need to be like, well, if you're actually a boy, show me your penis. And it's like, what does it matter? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Kuromaro's deal is... <clears throat> yeah. Well, In the first episode, Kuromaro was a somewhat charming idiot. You mean, no. In episode two, you mean, Kuromaro... You mean oh, sorry, like, not Kuromaro. Tota, Tota was the, uh, is the main character. Right, Tota. Uh, Tota was a charming idiot in the first episode. In episode two, not so charming anymore. <laughs> but still uh, an idiot. Yeah. Well, yeah, I also, kind of an... I actually sort of like. I I actually sort of like that in in the one aspect where it which which avoids the like you know rom com tropes that he is just not phased at seeing naked people. I mean, that's that's cool and all, but also it's just the same things are happening. It's just the main character's reaction is different, but they still serve the same purpose for the audience. So it's like, yeah, it makes the main character less gross, but it doesn't make the actual like it doesn't make the actual scenes any less gross. Um, same thing with the how they try to play off the bat, the hot spring scene where they you know go after uh, Evangeline to take off her clothes, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm not doing it because I want to like jerk off or anything. I just think I just want to fight her." And it's like, okay, that's good, I guess, but also you're still like having your cake and eating it too. So screw you, show. Um, the only good part about that scene was Evangeline just destroying them. <laughs> uh, but even then, that was tainted by, you know, how it was set up in the first place. Uh, really, kind of the only thing I enjoyed about this episode that doesn't come with caveats is the scene where, like, a whole bunch of, like, black sedans roll up on the highway and one of them like drifts into uh toto toto or whatever the hell he is uh and like knocks him aside and then a red carpet literally rolls out for evangeline yeah i'm like yes that is how you treat evangeline yeah this is my Uh, this is my group guys if forgot to tell you i had one of these yeah scamp is, is like uh, Scamp is not a fan of Yukio Holder, uh, and like I don't blame him. I think Scamp is kind of spot on in his analysis of what Yukio Holder is. Uh, and my positive impressions of the first episode, and my desire to continue watching it even after this episode, is mostly just continued evidence of my deep, deep desire to have more like. A sexy badass vampires in fiction. Uh, mostly, yeah, I'm just you, mostly you just I just need Twilight, Dustin. I mostly just need more kiss shots in my life, and well, that's yeah, kind of see, that's the, the only reason why I'm putting up with UQ Holder. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. You've been spoiled. You, you've you've been kiss shotted, and and you know, there's not going to be anything exactly the same. Close, but yeah. I mean, exa- yeah. I, I I think I think Evangeline herself holds up well, uh, even if she were even if you were take take her out of the context of UQ Holder and put her in an actually like good show, 
I think she'd still be a solid character. The problem is that, like, everything around Evangeline is still kind of like this tropey, like, Negima garbage. So, um, yeah. Her her younger self is just as cute as her older self. I I like that. that. Oh, yeah, I've got got, got this ice crystal, and I... Yeah, cool. Cool. Ice crystal. Oh, cool. Ice crystal. Huh? That, that's also something that, that's actually another thing uh, that kind of the only thing about Evangeline that I don't like is that it's like, oh, she can be a lolly or a big breasted adult woman. So that way we don't lose the lolly fans. It's I mean, like, to be fair, Dustin, that's the same with Shinobu. Yeah, and I also hated that about Shinobu. I, I've been very vocal about hating that about Shinobu, I think. Yeah, so well, I, I'm nothing not if you, not you're consistent. You're working on it now. Um, I, I, yeah, so I think I've been fairly consistent in that regards. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to give this episode a two. The only reason I'm not giving it a one is again, mostly because, because of Evangeline and I guess the fight scene was okay. Um, For one and two, since I watched them both, I give one a four and this a three. I'm going to give this episode a three. Alright, I'm still probably going to keep watching it at least a little bit until unless it gets just too much for me. Unless it gets too Negima for me to handle, I'll probably keep watching it uh, as long as Evangeline keeps getting a bunch of screen time. Um... Fair enough. But yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I know it's not good, and I know I should be watching better shows that aren't it, but I have my vices, okay? Hey, uh, last time I looked, everybody on this <laughs> podcast is human, so that allows a few things within the content. Just let me stuff. watch my yeah, let, just let me watch my vampire content, okay? Uh, let's move on to Blood Blockade, Battlefront and Beyond, episode one. Uh, twelve. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I'm I'm saying episode one just because I don't want to deal with having to remember like the season. And it's it's got a new title. I'll call it by its new title and put a one next to it. That uh, works for me. Yeah, it's yeah because yeah, it's 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 not it it's different from the previous season. It's definitely yeah. It feels. Like, Blood Blockade was goofy. It always kind of has been. But this felt even more goofy, and I feel like it's also portraying Leonard Watch as more pathetic than he actually started out in episode one of the first season. It's almost like he reset back to where he was um, at the start of the first season. Um... And, like, uh, I still enjoyed it a lot. Uh, It still kept a lot of the frenetic pace and, like, interesting directorial choices that I associate with Blood Blockade uh, Battlefront. It's definitely not the same direction as Rie Matsumoto gave it, but it's very much... It very much feels like they're trying to keep some of that style, uh, especially in regards to... Uh, the fight scenes and things like that. Uh, one that sticks out to me, uh, one of the goofy moments I 
I, there were actually a couple of moments related to fight scenes that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the first of, of which is when uh, all the badasses of Libra combine their powers and then they get mad at each other for shouting their special attacks over each other's other special <laughs> attacks. Mine's better. Which no, was, mine's better. No, mine's better. Which was a fantastic gag because, like, it's very much poking fun at the genre itself. Um, in a way I really enjoyed, uh, because oftentimes in these sort of shonen shows, the the special attack names are both are and are not diegetic in in the in that they take place in this almost um, almost like surreality where you have enough time in your attack sequence to shout your attack name and people will just let you do it. Uh, whereas in Blood Blockade, like, the the shouting is actually taking place in the moment, so much so that people are just, like, shouting over each other. Uh, it, it's a joke I very much appreciated. Uh, similar with, um, near the end of the, uh, near the end of the, uh, the opening action scene with the, uh, like, um, like, uh, the cute the the almost like the gremlin esque uh, creatures uh, where oh I can't remember what his name is the wolf guy the oh Klaus the dude with like the blood crosses Klaus yeah uh, when Klaus uses like his barrier cross and everyone's like all right everyone stand single file and you're like wait why and then the punchline is that like it, it's literally a, like a barrier. An, an immovable cross so much so that um, it just gouges out a cross-shaped midsection into the monster and the monster just slides right on past them. Uh, almost, it, it's, it's like a anime, it's like an anime version of that um, uh, the famous gag that the old time, like, silent film uh, oh, actor did. did. Yeah. Where, like, the one where he stands... It, uh, right where like uh, the side of a house falls down on him and he stands right and the, in the window's the window open space. yeah yeah yes that uh, why well, can't that, I remember his name he's Charlie like Chaplin yes Charlie Chaplin it's a Charlie Chaplin gag but an anime action scene form and it's great um yeah, I'm old give me a minute I gotta sort through the data yeah I'm I'm actually surprised I didn't remember it uh as oh, well it's all right but, like it's, you, you keep talk. You keep talking. It, it's a Keystone Cops routine too. But yeah, yeah, you, you've got it. You, you've got it all nailed down there. Yeah, it's still got a lot of great visual gags, um, but also it felt pushed. It felt different. There wasn't as much like meaningful interaction between characters like there like even episode one of the first blood blockade had like Rie Matsumoto like uh somewhat deservedly uh gets some gets some flack for being very self-indulgent um it's the kind of self-indulgence I like but you know it's a fair criticism uh but one thing she was always very good at is uh like just uh, shoving oodles and oodles of character work into every single episode. Um, so much so that, like, uh, one of the best things about the Kyoso Giga anime is that it let those uh, character moments have some space to breathe. 
um, rather than attempting to shove all of it into like three episodes. Uh, and that kind of just isn't there in BBBNB episode one. Um, like there's a little <clears throat> bit of it uh, with uh, between Leonard and the head of the American president. Uh, but, the president's representative. Right. The president's, the head of the president's representative. Um, but it also feels like something that happened back in the first season that we're kind of just like repeating. Uh, there was something off about the character work, basically. Yeah, I can see where you're going there. I talked for a lot. What do you think, Ben? I thought it was a solid episode. The only thing I didn't like about it was how whiny Leonardo was. Yeah, absolutely. It felt a lot... Like, he was a little bit in season one, but it was annoying in season two. Like, in season one, it felt like like I was empathetic with Leonard. I was like, man, dude, you got a rough hand dealt to you. I don't blame you. In season two, it's like, oh my god, stop yelling about your xbox stand-in <laughs> his double x x y z z poo q yeah u. yeah okay. uh, uh i st- like i still really liked the episode um i don't want it to sound like i was super harsh on it it's just that it didn't have the same magic for me that season one started off with it may get better yeah um I would call this episode a yawning episode, and that's why I'm going to give it a three. I, I, I'm i probably not that harsh on it, um, because again, I still liked a lot of the action, and I thought it was it had a lot of moments that were very funny. I, I mean, uh, K, so K, KK was, was, was good, but there was a lot of that that was like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give it a four. Um, it is an episode <laughs> that I very much enjoyed, but also... It felt lacking compared to uh, a, a lot of the episodes in season one. I'm going to give this episode a four. Well, the other thing could have been is I might have had my sights set a little high, thinking there was going to be more than there was, and it kind of you know, fizzled. Yeah, fizzled. I don't necessarily blame you for that, because again, like the first season ended on a very high note, I would say. Um. And, you know, you're you're kind of, like, looking at the next season going, like, okay, well, Ria Matsumoto isn't back, so, you know, good luck. <laughs> I hope you can live up to what the first season was, and when it's, and when it, you know, almost gets there, but not quite, I can definitely understand, you know, if it's not at least on par with, you know, how season one left off. I, I can totally see, like, well, sort of the disappointment yeah. there. And I'll I'll throw in a, a caveat here. I wasn't feeling well when I watched it, and I think that could have added to the <coughs> disappointment that I was already receiving. Those of you who listened to the last podcast know what I mean. Those who didn't, <laughs> oh man, yeah, Dusty can tell you about it later. But we're good, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I'm I am looking forward to more of it. Uh, as much as I do miss Matsumoto. Uh, this current director seems to at least be attempting to capture the spirit of what she did with the first season and understands how important that was to the first season. 
Um, and mostly I'm just crossing my fingers that Matsumoto is working on something else that I will be able to enjoy in the near future well, because she's yeah. one of my favorite directors yeah, the dir- right now. The director for this season uh, did Dagashi Kashi, which was a fun show. I... Have I heard of that? Uh, I'm... This The poster looks familiar, but I cannot place it. Huh. Interesting. Uh, anyway. Uh, let's move on to Garo Vanishing Line, episode one. Um, which, unlike <laughs> the previous two Garo anime, uh, uh, ditches the historical settings uh, for uh, the modern setting... The, well, the... I guess in this case, almost like pseudo-futuristic. Um, uh, but yeah, the mo- the modern setting that the typical Garo live-action shows are set in. Um, and it was a pretty solid first episode. Um, I like the main... I, I like the main character, and I like, like the girl sidekick as well that uh, they introduced in this episode. Uh Though the fight scenes were very hit or miss, and mostly because of the direction, not necessarily for the choreography. I think the choreography was fine, uh, especially I loved how extremely physical this main character is. He's almost like a professional wrestler in that he does a lot of, like, punches and grappling moves. He he even does a friggin' Azuna drop uh, (laughs) on a dude. Uh... I, I really like his fighting style. I love how they also do motorcycle sword fights. That's pretty good. I just wish the camera wasn't doing this fake shaky cam garbage for so much of it. It's awful. It just it just completely it almost ruins what would otherwise be like a actually well directed and choreographed fight scene. Yeah. Yeah, because it was like Okay, what's going on now? <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes it makes the action harder to follow than it needs to be. Yeah, and, and what's weird is that it it doesn't even seem to be like a cost saving measure. It's not like they're trying to like hide bad animation because the animation, like I can t- even tell through the shaky cam, the animation is actually like pretty nice and fluid, especially when they stop doing shaky cam for a bit. No, they, um, no, they're they're doing it as a deliberate artistic choice. That yeah, they're do- like it's it's clearly intentional for to evoke a style, but also it's bad. Right. So, uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. So yes, yeah, it's it's they're doing it because they think they think that it's cool, but it's not. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Which is a shame. Um, because, like, if they just stopped doing it, then it, the fight scenes they have would be just infinitely cooler, because I would be able to see better what's happening. Um, I, but other than that, like, that's really only my major, that's really my only major complaint so far. Um, the, uh, the dude is... The main character is still kind of a horn dog because Garo's got to have its 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 uh, boobs and stuff, uh, but at least he is not like a horn dog that makes me like uncomfortable and think he's probably a bad person, uh, like the father was 
um, in the first season, uh, in, in Garo, Scarlet Flame. No, not Scarlet Flame. Uh, yeah, Scarlet Flame. The, or the whatever car- the hell it was. Uh, the carved, the, the, car- the, me- the medieval fantasy one. Yeah, the carved seal of flames is what it was called. Carved seal of flames. Yeah, okay. Uh, he, he's kind of just a dude who is a breast man, um, and he gives thanks for them, which, like, is, is a funny gag, and I'm sort of just kind of used to Garo, uh, being that way about boobs, uh, and at the very least, in Vanishing Line, it's not quite so over the top about it. Um... He's like, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, because cause the thing is, is that even though he's like, yes, he he gets he gets an eyeful of some of some lady's boobs, and he's like, yes, my life has has my life has has significantly improved because of this. Thank you, God. <laughs> yeah, at, like at the very least, it's significantly better than what was happening in Space Dandy, hmm. <laughs> which, as much as I like Space Dandy, it had problems. <laughs> Um, that comment I yeah. can relate to. Uh, so yeah, like on the whole, this was a like really good episode. Probably the best first episode that a, that Garo anime has had so far. Um, just because it does a really solid job of establishing the characters, of uh, bringing them all together, and like just being really cool. Uh, this this whole this whole. It's weird that this show has probably, like, the least metal opening theme of the Garo shows. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Junie Tyson, which I expected to have a very metal opening and didn't. I think this one actually does have a... So it's by, I can't remember. It's by Jam Project, so... Right, it is a Jam Project opening. So it is, it's fairly metal. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is definitely the most radical <laughs> so far. <laughs> Because again, motorcycle fights. Uh, it's yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I'll, I'll give it a four. I'll give it a four as well. Um, I also think it wasn't as like the 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 other Garos could be kind of like not gross, I'd say, but slashery. Um, it could be like gory. Uh, this this one wasn't so much like there was still some of that, uh, but it was very toned down compared to how uh, uh, like the previous couple Garos opened up as I'd say uh, to the point where I think I think Larry would probably be okay with the first episode if you want to check it out, but I don't know if Gar- Larry cares really. Well, Larry um, has I mean what am I like twenty seven twenty eight episodes behind? I would watch the first episode and go. Huh? Uh, you can watch this episode. You can watch this. You can watch this season without watching any of the previous seasons. Yeah, all all, all the Garo seasons are like unless they're direct continuations. Um, like they're self-contained. Like uh, the medieval Garo has basically no connection to Crimson Moon uh, and Vanishing Line. If it even does have connections to either of the other two, it's just like. <laughs> With the primary core concepts of Garo. Well, there's a reference to Zaraba, which was the, uh... Oh, yeah. I, Zaraba is the, like, that's kind of a constant. 
Yeah. Um, it's it's like it's like the morphing grid in Power Rangers, you know, just as a person. Um, or I guess not a person, but like a sentient uh, entity. We'll yeah. see. We'll we'll see what my list looks like throughout the week, and yeah. if I can uh, get there, I'll get there, and we can talk about it later. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's is really solid. Um, I uh, let's move on to Kino's journey, episode one, uh, which I'm sure Aaron will love to talk about. <laughs> Go on, Aaron. Yay. The people have heard my voice for long enough. More Kino's journey. Everything is well in the world. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty solid episode. I'd never seen the original Kino's Journey, so it was all new to Neither me. Neither have I. I have I have heard of Kino's Journey. Um, I think I remember uh, listening. It was either a Fast Karate for the Gentleman review or a Anime World Order review. I can't remember which one, um, but it always sounded interesting to me. But I never like got around to watching it i just knew it as one of sort of those sort of famous iconic anime of that era it's real good so this one is both kind of uh a reboot slash it's made of a material that's been covered before some material that hasn't been done before and some original material Uh, the main structure of kino's journey almost at least from what i know at least from what i've heard of it it kind of just almost feels like it could be a, it could be a reboot reboot or it could not and it really wouldn't make any difference no <laughs> just because no. of how episodic it is yeah they're they're not connected at all every story is just a her three day journey well well her journey but the three day stay in a particular town or whatever yeah yeah also I like I totally forgot that Kino's Journey stars a talking motorcycle, and when I remembered that, I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, a talking motorcycle that no one ever comments on and allows it to stay in buildings. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so, that's, that's also what yeah, I was thinking. No like, problem start, with that. When they, when, they showed, when they showed a shot of, like, um, the, uh, of Kino staying in her, like, uh, tavern room... Uh, and the motorcycle was just there. I was like, "Man, how did Kino get the motorcycle upstairs? <laughs> yeah. Kino must be buff." Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. That and walked itself upstairs. The other, I also, the other, I also just like the idea of Kino like asking the proprietor, "It's like, hey, can I keep my motorcycle up here?" And the proprietor going like, "Yeah, sure." It's like, I mean. It can talk, so maybe it has, like, rights as a person? Yeah. I, I can't remember if they ever go over that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, also, it talks, other people can hear it and respond to it. And yeah. they make no deal about it. It's like... Yeah, yeah, they don't freak out about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember if that's, if that's just, like, an in-universe thing that these things exist, or if it's just, like, no one gives a crap. Uh, well, they call it a motor rod. Yeah. Which, 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 which I guess implies that it is a thing that people know exists, but like they're so rare that Kino's motor rod is one of the only we ever see, only ones we ever see. Maybe. Don't know. I don't know. To be honest, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's one of those like the thing about Kino's journey, at least from this first episode, it seems to be is like. 
there are things that are inexplicable and you just kind of have to go with it because that's what this world is now. Yeah, so every 3-day stay It's like a in... it's like a post it's like a post post apocalypse where everything has recovered but like shit's weird now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but society isn't the same. Yeah. Um, it's 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 near but less depressing. But like uh like a lot of the stuff is like uh, a lot of the, the things with the countries that she visits and by countries it means cities um is that like a lot of them are sort of uh, I don't want to say like Aesop's fables like that kind of thing but taken to an extreme cuz a lot of it is uh can be social commentary there's quite a bit of that um but there's a lot of stuff that's unrealistic that's just like, no, that that's not how that would work out and that type of thing. But it doesn't matter because it's what like Kino's journey is just to prove a point. Yeah, uh, that is that is sort of the one thing that weirded me out about um, that. Well, it initially weirded me out about the concept of this episode because the town that Kino, go, Kino goes to is, we are told, known for being a place where uh, you know, killing people is okay. Yeah, um, where, where murder is not, uh, not permitted. Yeah, so initially I was kind of like looking at it with a skeptical eye going like, okay, uh, good luck with that concept. Because like when, they, when she gets there, it's like super peaceful and everyone is super nice. And I'm sort of like raising an eyebrow going like, Okay, this seems like NRA fantasy land, <laughs> where, where it's like, well, if everyone in America owned a gun, everything would be fine. Um, but then there's kind of a twist on that near the end, where the reveal is that it, it's it's not that like the people of the town wanted to live somewhere where they could just murder whenever they wanted. It's actually more like a almost like a honeypot to trap murderers and then eliminate them from the world which is which has its own share of problems well what as I, as a as a I point but I, is at least well, what, more I took, what i took interesting, from, what I, think. I took from the episode what i took from the episode was that the point it was trying to make was it was about a con a contrast between laws and norms so the, the thing about this town is that they don't have a law against murder on the books, but they have a norm, a social norm that you don't just go around shooting people. Yeah, I guess that's a better, okay, yeah, that, that's probably a better read on it. And honestly, like, while I was watching that scene, particularly when the guy says, you know, it's like, oh, yes, you know, killing is per, is, isn't prohibited but there are consequences for it. And it reminds me of... So, uh, I'm going to tie this into politics a bit that are going on in the real world now. But it, it ties into a lot of the arguments that so-called free speech proponents make, where they're like, oh, you know, how dare you punish anyone for saying, you know, for, for saying, like, bad things. Like, oh, you know... Yeah, these people who are like, oh, you why is why you shouldn't punish them for saying Nazi not 
for like saying Nazism is good or that women are stupid, uh, which like I'm exaggerating for effect here because I don't want to go derail too much. Uh, and they're saying like, oh, because you should, they shouldn't be punished because free speech. When in reality, all free speech laws mean is that, you know, you are permitted, like you are allowed to say whatever you want, but there is nothing protecting you from the consequences of saying whatever you want. Like yeah. it, it doesn't prohibit people from punishing you for saying dumb and hateful things. Well, it, uh, it, it, that's that part back there goes to something I learned in the military. It's not who you call an SOB, but when and where and in front of <laughs> whom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, so yeah, I think I think Ben, you you probably have the right read on on sort of that scene, and I, and I do like the the bit at the end where Kino makes another traveler who is meant to be a direct contrast to the first guy uh, that she meets, and he's like, you know, I heard it's like really peaceful there, and she's like, uh, yeah, it 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 depends on your perception of the town. Very much like implying, you know, if, if you go there looking for peace, you will find peace. If you go there looking for killing, you're going to find killing, just not in the way you probably want. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, all in all, it was an interesting episode. Uh, again, I, I don't think... I, I think it had some issues, but... Uh, it was more, it, it was issues in the, it wasn't issues that I necessarily think make it bad, but issues in the way that it makes me, like, think about them and reflect on them and sort of, like, uh, like, uh, roll, roll them around in my head a bit, um, and thus is the point of Kino's journey. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is a thought-provoking show, and also, and at the same time, despite being like very much intentionally thought-provoking, also a like really relaxing show too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the thing with Kino's journey is that there's there's a lot of places that are just kind of cool and calm and relaxing. And there's a lot of places that are, are horrifying, honestly. Yeah. Um, it is, it's an interesting contrast. Uh, but yeah, I, I really digged it. Uh, I'll give it... Huh. I'm not, I'm not sure where, whether I should give it a 4 or a 5, honestly. I'm going to give it a 4. I thought it was interesting, but... It was. It didn't like. It didn't. It didn't like wow me. It didn't ring. I think I'll get. Huh? I think I'll give it a four just because I wish it had explored the concept and questions raised by the town a little bit more than it did, um, but was otherwise excellent. I do love the. Like like you said, the contrast between uh, the opening where she meets the guy to begin with, and then the ending where she meets the second guy, to yeah. the point that it's the same frame. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's almost exactly the same sequence of events where, like, I think even her dialogue with the bike is the same thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm glad I watched this show. It was it, it's very good. I can see now why you were excited for it. Much in the same way where when I finally watched Mushishi, I was like, "Oh right, that's why people like Mushishi so much." <laughs> yeah. Also, don't mess with Kino; she will kill you. Oh yeah, I I believe it. The the, the wait isn't isn't Kino a pacifist though? No. <laughs> no, she will kill you. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, yeah. I like... thought the I thought the I thought the implication with her hiding behind the bike was that she didn't want to shoot the dude. Well, she doesn't. But I think it was also part in like I'm not entirely sure what'll happen if I do shoot him. Oh, okay. I yeah, see. It wasn't. That's the thing. She doesn't use violence as a first resort, you know, and she won't start anything. Uh, but she will finish it if it yes. comes to it. I also like that guns are called persuaders. <laughs> well, that's actually the persuader is actually the name of a specific model of gun. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's just it's funny. It's it's got a very psychopath ring to it. <laughs> yes. Persuader, uh, intimidator, it's yeah. all one and the same. Oh god, I forgot. Yeah, there is an actual there is an actual gun named the Intimidator, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure there no, is. No, the, well, there's a there's a gun there. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a gun called the Persuader, which is actually it's a shotgun. Oh right, it's yeah. Specific, it's a specific brand of shotgun. Mm-hmm. But that's so much for guns 101. Yeah. Yeah. It's real good. I give it a five. I used I, to be. I, really I used to be more. kind of. I used to be kind of a gun nut back in the day. <clears throat> also, the second um, sort of keynote or, or uh, running theme in Kino's journey is that the first scene will be the second scene in the series, or in the the sort of short story, and then at the end it'll show you the first part. So that was done in this episode huh so her basically the dialogue um from the beginning of the episode to uh about 204 comes after the dialogue at the end of the episode from about 2 uh 22 30 to the end oh god i'm never gonna remember this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't need to. It's just, it's just, just always just, watch the it, after the credits. It's just a fun reference sort of thing. Yeah, yeah basically, right. it, it's more like to to give you more context and explain things to their conversation at the beginning. All right. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the ancient Magus's bride episode one. Oh wait, hold on. There's one yeah. more thing I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about. Sure. Uh, Kino's journey has the angriest looking cows ever. Oh yeah, those cows were terrifying. <laughs> like, holy crap, those cows are gonna shank you. Yeah, apparently after the post-apocalypse, cows got mean. <laughs> like, holy crap, I don't want to milk those. Call me I'm not going Jesse, anywhere near them. <laughs> 
You trying to milk me, huh? <laughs> uh, but yeah. Let's move on to Ancient Magus' Bride, episode one. Yeah. Now, Aaron. Now, Aaron, you told me earlier that I should watch more Twilight, but I would argue that Ancient Magus' Bride is really just a far better version of Twilight. Um, maybe? Because I, here, I, cause here's the interesting thing about Ancient Magus' Bride, is that I'm, I, I kind of want to get a female perspective for this, but it doesn't, even though, like, the Magus is coded male, I'm not sure if he's ever referred to by male pronouns i think he is but he is yeah okay so he's a male character who like like buys a cute girl to be his apprentice and bride so you're thinking on the surface like oh okay light novel wish fulfillment for male fantasies but actually like it's more framed from this perspective of the girl being the one who is having a fantasy fulfilled much like Twilight and its ilk of young adult fiction, um, where it is a, uh, like, a girl with a, uh, a rough, uh, life who gets swept away in a adventure where she suddenly, where she is told that she is actually super special, uh, and, you know, uh, everyone is suddenly nice to her and she feels like she belongs. Except in Ancient Magus's Bride, it's actually, like, good? <laughs> there, there's a lot of stuff about Ancient Magus's Bride that feels like it shouldn't work, and yet it does. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, prim- the, the primary thing being the whole concept of Chisei being bought as, like, technically a slave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the thing that helps that... Uh, not only just because of the fact that the Magus is portrayed as a like very kind individual who's mostly seems to be taking advantage of a broken system in order to do his part to make someone's life better. Uh, it, it's not sexual at all. Like there is zero eroticism in this no. anime. There, uh, yeah, that's something that continues. There is none ever. Yeah, at all. yeah. And in fact, the Magus himself seems to be devoid of any sexual desires and is mostly doing this out of uh, both of uh, both a sense of obligation well not necessarily I don't want to say obligation but uh, doing it out of a sense of like um, uh, like partnership and companionship uh, that you know may become romantic um, but yeah. it's not based in uh, sexual desires that frame Chisei's purchasing in a sort of more objectifying and rapey kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it'll it'll be clarified later that while he says bride, it's more of companion. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be what's implied by the rest of his interactions with her. Um, which again, it's like, sort of, uh, it's sort uh, of the, the best word he can come up with is bride. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there are some like, um, parts that are still sort of, eh, uh, like his in, like his pet name for her being like, oh, how's my puppy doing? Um, is, 
on a little <clears throat> shaky ground. Um, that's where it's that's where the concept starts to feel a little weird. Um, I don't remember that from the manga. It, it, it's, I, I could it, be wrong. Anyway, yeah, it's 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 in the translation, uh, regardless. So, well, um, no, it's actually it's, it's actually but. it's actually in the it's actually in the original in the Japanese dialogue. He actually uses okay. the word, he actually uses oh yeah he he, he uses, says puppy yeah he, he uses the word puppy yeah the katakana the trans the the transliteration of puppy yeah yeah uh, it, there, there's another translation thing that I need to talk about afterwards but yeah 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 so I mean that's that's a little I've got my issues with that because it kind of brings the whole slave angle more to the forefront than I'd like uh, it just feels a bit patronizing uh rather than like romantic or charming uh but other than that issue um it does definitely avoid the more squicky parts of the setup for how they come to live together um and it's also helped by just the aesthetics of the show itself and the and the events that happen um in the Magus's home are very uh, are gentle and um, welcoming like his home is sort of it is very much crafted after the platonic ideal of a uh, rural British home <laughs> yeah, except yes. for the killer fairies for neighbors oh well yeah I mean if you, if not... you got if you've got fey folk, they have to be jerks in some way. Yeah, they're not killers. Well, they're just going to drag her off somewhere, and you never know what happens after you drag somebody off somewhere. She'll be fine. It, see, hey. That's the thing that I find kind of weird about this part, is they portray the aerials in, like, a really bad light. Yeah, it but, did seem like they were going to try and secretly murder her, and then... Well, no, but, well, actually, the, uh... Well, actually, uh, Elias, the mage, he says that, he says that, like, you know, the fairies, you know, they're actually doing what they think is, they're actually trying to be, you know, nice in the way that they see it. The problem is, is that what they think of as nice is not necessarily what somebody else would think of as nice. You know? Yeah, they're... They're trying to help and protect her in their own way. It's just that may not be the way <laughs> everyone else thinks is okay. Yeah, I, I, I. That is one thing I wish the show had been a little more clear on because they felt very much malevolent. Uh, they, they do get more, um, more, um, not backstory, but they do get more time and character development. But yeah, I. Uh... I, for the most part, like, I definitely think that I, I almost, this kind of like emphasizes my idea that if you were to start watching Magus's Bride, you'd be best off watching the first 10 minutes of the prologue OVA, like, and just stop right as story time starts and then just immediately skip to the first actual episode. Because uh, yeah, I agree. This episode is just so much better than any of the prologue episodes were uh, and gets to the heart of what the show is actually about. Um, maybe watch a little bit more, maybe just watch a little bit more of the flashback just so you get an idea of like 
what they mean when they're talking about how Chise has like magical beings that follow her around and try to help uh, and how that can both hurt and help her life because um, like if if I hadn't already watched that episode and saw the things that like she was seeing that no one else could that conversation would make far less sense um but otherwise, yeah, this is just a way better introduction, I think. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to more of it. Uh, it is, uh, it is so 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 much better than any of the plot summaries make it sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then if I give it a five, would anybody get upset? No, I agree with you. I give it a five. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give it a four again because, like, even though I think it mostly avoids some of my issues with the concept, uh, I'm, I'm still not a fan of like the whole puppy thing. Um, it's clearly sort of meant to, meant to sound like adorable, but it just, in the context of their relationship right now, it just feels weird. Um. But otherwise, like, yeah, a very solid episode. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the one thing I do want to talk about is what she's called. Oh, the I can't even re- remember. It was like some nonsense. It's words. pronounced. It's pronounced Slay Vega. Yeah, the thing is, is that in the, both the official English manga and for the Crunchyroll subtitles. They're using Slay Beggy. Or, so, S-L-E-I-G-H-B-E-G-G-Y. Yeah, that thing, uh. Which is an actual type of fairy from mythology, but that's not what is what ri- that's not what's written in the text for the manga. The, the Romanized version is Slay Vega. Which, um, and then the actual, like, uh, translation out thing, meaning of the word is, like, child of night, or eternal child of night, or something like that. Which is much better, and is actually what they, it sounds like they say in the series, in the show. Yeah. Because it is quite clearly, she's not, (laughs) she's quite clearly not saying Beggy. Yeah, they, yeah, the, uh... Yeah, they when uh, yeah when the when the magus refers to her, he he actually uses the word Vega. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for it, like they give a reasoning on their website. Uh, the guys that did uh, the manga, and it's it's yeah it it, it translated it, dearest child of the night. But they, uh, it's just dumb, and I don't understand why they did that. It doesn't make any sense. It's not what's actually written. It, it, I don't know. Interpolation didn't work. Yeah, and like I said, it's just real dumb. It just sounds dumb. Yeah, it, they're also like fairy magic names in like old uh old fairy tales kind of can often sound dumb well, so i kind of just rolled with it well, <laughs> well yes but the, the problem is is that she's not a fairy oh she's a human yeah she's yeah she's actually a special 
she's well she's a special kind of mage or someone she has like the potential to be like a super mage yeah and they'll get into what actually makes a soy vega soy vega later hopefully no they will but any a, anyway Things to All keep right. in mind, it's Slay Vega, I don't care what Crunchyroll and the official <laughs> manga says. Um, the aerials are not evil, and they don't want to hurt her at all. And Elias is not that, not as creepy as it seems he should be. Okay. <laughs> I also All like right. the fact that she doesn't really freak out at the fact that his face is like a, a skull. Well, I mean, which is understandable because she has, cause she's seen, she has seen some shit. <laughs> she's seen worse. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, the guy with the skull bought me. All right. I mean, well, she, I mean, I'm from sure what we know of the prologue, she saw a, another wizard get like magically have his like half his torso magically decayed by a giant rat. So, okay. T to be fair, that's not official. That well, that's not in the manga, but. Oh yeah, I guess it's yeah. anime original. Uh, well, it was written by the original author. Yeah, All right. still not in the manga. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, moving on to Children of the Whales episode one, which I did not get around to. Oh. You want okay. To All right. Yeah. So this was an interesting show. Uh, it, this uh like this episode was mostly like set up, you know, but it's setting up something really. It's setting up something interesting, because you know it, it like it takes place on basically this uh, this sort of this ship that sails a sea of sand. Yes, it's a mud whale. Yeah, and it's populated by the, you know, these people. Uh, ninety percent of whom have like, like super magical have like magical psychic powers, but which basically just telekinesis. But limited lifespans. Yeah, extremely limited. Thirty is it? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So that's the that that's the price of their powers. Um, you know, although you know the people in charge are the ones that you know, are the ones that don't have the powers to thus live longer and are able to, you know, you know, give some, have some institutional, institutional continuity. Uh, you want to, yeah, I guess. That right. You know, and the main character is this guy who has, who's sort of the, uh, the archivist because he's always like, right. He's always like, rec you know, writing things down, writing things down. And you know he has you know he has powers, but he's really bad at controlling them. So they like end up doing like more damage. They end up like doing a whole lot of damage when he tries to use them. And you know, and the plot kicks in. The plot kicks in when they uh, they find this uh, you know they find this uh, like a you know I this island you know yeah, which island. which are usually. Which you're usually abandoned, uh, but then they actually find a girl on this island, uh, and so they take her back, and uh, yeah, so they take her back and try and uh, figure out what her deal is, and she's not exactly friendly. She starts really? out. 
Yeah, she starts out actually trying to kill, actually trying to kill the main character when he uh, when he finds her, but he he blocks it with his power. He, blo- he blocks his, her attacks with his powers. Oh yeah, this is the purest way in anime to tell that you love somebody. You try to kill them. <laughs> yeah. Is wait, is that what I should should be doing? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Okay, look, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yes. Yeah, it only works. It only works if the one doing the attacking is a girl, a cute girl. Because if it's not a cute girl, then it's just creepy. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. Uh huh. And especially if it's a dude, because if it's a dude that's like doing the attacking, that's rapey. Yeah. Uh. Uh-huh. I- I do really like how they did the backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. The, so they they definitely took the style of the uh, the manga. Oh, that's and translated those are some it well. Pretty cool backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, like the sort like of the sketchbook art style. Yeah, the world they built up is really cool and interesting and. I want to see more of it. I hear beeping in the background. Uh, I said this before the show, but the one thing I recommend is not watching the previews. Okay, well, I think I slept through the one, or if I did, I don't remember what it was, so, you know, it's like, (laughs) who cares? Yeah, I don't even remember what was in the previews, so... Classic Larry. Hey... Classic Larry's getting over being classically sick. If yeah, were listening last week, I wasn't really I wasn't really paying attention when it came time for that anyway. So, uh, yeah, I'll come in. I'll work. go in. I'll go into the next episode fresh. Good five. Um, but yeah, this episode was just world building and introducing all the main characters. Yeah. So, but yeah, really, uh, really intriguing. So I liked it a whole lot. I'll give it a five. All right, uh, let's move on to DSRA episode one. <laughs> so, uh, you guys had me watch the first minute forty of, and I saw a magic Nazi in a floating golden sky castle city uh, go over to presumably uh, attack a dude who's standing on Tokyo Tower, and I had no idea what I was watching. <laughs> Well, that was probably the most sane part of this episode. Yeah, fun fact: that magic Nazi on that magic Nazi is none other than Reinhard Heydrich, who is supposed to be dead, but he's not for some reason. Okay, so am I right? And he is a Nazi vampire. He is totally a Nazi. I don't know if he's a vampire, but okay. he's a Nazi. He's Reinhard Heydrich, who's like he had sort of. He had sort of that Dracula slash Alucard style going on there, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the th- that's the thing is that like so like this episode was all about introducing introducing the bad guys, who presu- who presumably the heroes of the show will be fighting, and uh, it's kind of problem- yeah, so this it's is kind this of problematic. is actually labeled yeah this is actually labeled episode zero. Which makes sense because 
the problem is is that they introduced every all of the bad guys with no context whatsoever and the thing is is that in the visual novel this is actually a side story that is unlocked after you beat the game for the first time yeah sure why not that's sensical. So they put this out there more for fans of the original novel or for of the visual novel to begin with. Um but uh but it's 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 real weird and nonsensical and uh and weird. So I think like I'm not dropping it on this. I'll give the first episode the first actual episode a chance. But this is real weird. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it raises some interesting questions as to like, okay, what what was what's going on and what's the point of this other than woo Nazis are cool. Yeah, yeah, magical Nazis fight. Uh, Especially the end where it just basically does like flashcards of all of the I'm guessing antagonists. Uh, it it. It was weird. And it was I honestly real weird. So glad that I did not uh, expend the effort to watch this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it, it made almost no sense whatsoever. <laughs> the way my weekend went, that would have probably been the capper for. Me. I mean, I, I mean, I guess like the whole the whole thing is that it's like it's all about like assembling Team Evil, and you know, and. Except it doesn't get on to, like, okay, what is Team Evil actually up to? <laughs> the, it, the episode stops before it gets to that. Yeah, it's it's real weird, and I really don't understand why they would do that, and it wasn't that good. I'm going to give it a two. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, if I had watched it, I'd probably give it a two just for spectacle. <laughs> Well, yeah, it sounds yeah, it, like it we're was... not going to continue watching it either. Which well, is no, I, well, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch the first episode because <clears throat> yeah, same. If, I mean, because I think what it comes down to is it's like, okay, I mean, these are the bad guys. So what's the good? What what are the good guys like? If the good guys are actually interesting, then the show might be worth watching. Yeah, I, I feel like this definitely isn't. Uh, going to be uh, representative of the actual show. Okay. So, we'll see. But yeah, I'll, I'll give it a two because it was at least entertaining, especially the opening scene with the giant gold skull fortress thing. Skeletor. Yeah. It it reminded me of it reminded me of uh, the uh, of assassins. Um, of Noble Phantasm and Fate Apocrypha, to be perfectly yeah. honest, but like gold plated. Yeah. Yes, except uh, that, uh, to give you an idea, Larry, this is what it looks like. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's owned by a Nazi, so that kind of diminishes it a bit. Yeah, except that. Oh. No. Yeah, you know, that looks like Skeletor's castle after the remake. Yeah. See, Semiramis is so much cooler than all those Wait, Nazis. Am I, am I dating, am I dating myself with that comment? Probably am. Do I care? No. Alright, anyway. So, uh, before we finish, there's one more thing I want to talk about, and it's Code Realize. Okay. And that's the one where she has a poison in her body, and she's saved by uh, Lupin, and body, body, blah. Anyways, it was okay, but the uh, what I wanted to bring up, Dustin, yeah. was uh, that they have this in the episode. 
Okay, I'm gonna have to describe this to our listeners, apparently. Oh my god, that dog is adorable. <laughs> okay, so I think that's a, supposed to be a corgi or something cor- that resembles and a, tux. a corgi. It, yeah, a, well, not a tux necessarily. Uh, he has tux. he has a bow tie attached to like the sort of the like the flaps and. The Buttons yeah, the epaulets and the buttons of a tux, wearing a top hat, and also his front left leg leg is like robo- is like a robot leg, like a C three PO leg. Mm-hmm. Yep, a corgi and a tux. Ah, oh, that so, is a good dog. Yeah, so I had to make sure that you saw that. that. The, the rest of it was all right, but that was that was a <laughs> that had to be pointed out. Yes, and I got a friend of mine who loves corgis that would be all over that in two seconds flat. That thing is basically like if Ein from Cowboy Bebop was also uh-huh. steampunk. You got it. <laughs> you 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 just nailed it. You did it better than I could think it through. Uh, anyway, moving on to listener questions. Uh, well, they got a comment. Uh, yeah, so uh, we have one from... Well, I'm going to skip over Fabulous Blues. That's just an image from Neo, Neo Yokio saying you don't deserve this big Toblerone. Um, and on to Day Riffs that says, Regarding My Hero Academy, I felt the way you did about the implication that Eraserhead went easy on Momo and allowed her to win. But then we get told in the season finale that all the instructors were holding back to some extent, and none of the students would have had a chance if they were really trying. So, shrug emoji. I guess it makes sense. They are only first-year students, and the instructors are all veteran heroes who are teaching at an elite academy that takes only the best. Yeah, that season finale reveal does uh, does sort of um, lessen my criticism of that moment. Uh, I will have to say, um, it just it just felt worse at the time because they seemed to specifically be calling it out for that fight. Um, Question, are you going to bring back retro reviews? I know recent seasons have been pretty full as it is, but I really enjoyed you going back to watch older anime that have stood the test of time. Watching along with you got me some, uh, got me to see some great anime like LOGH or Planetess. Come on, you can do a retro review of Cowboy Bebop. I know everyone except Dustin has watched it, but I think it's a show that in many ways would be more interesting to hear reviewed as a rewatch. That would be probably the only way that would finally get me to watch all of Cowboy Bebop and stop being so goddamn lazy. <laughs> you know, I love it when you're critical of yourself. <laughs> Just all the time, uh, yeah. No, that's uh, yeah. We should bring back retro reviews at some point. Uh, I just have to think of how, what I want to do. I do still. Cowboy Bebop is a good option, though. I am partial to re- going Pat Labor just because that's one I've always wanted to see it too. Oh yeah, um, I actually saw Pat Labor a while back. Good show. Yeah, I mentioned that because Fabulous Blue also mentions it in his comment, but we'll get to that later. Um, second question, of all the anime that you watched specifically because BakaCast was reviewing it, which one has stuck with you the most? Not your favorite anime exactly, but your favorite to review. The one most memorable in terms of the interesting discussion it generated. Hmm. Uh, interest, okay, so, uh, there are, I think, two criteria here. Um, uh, I'm gonna separate this between interesting discussion and fun discussion um because i think for fun discussion i have to give it to gothic because there's no way i ever would have 
like even bothered with that show if I didn't enjoy making fun of it so much on the podcast. There's just no way. Uh, that was just a gigantic part of the appeal of that show was knowing I was going to get to rip into it with uh, uh, with Megan like on the next episode. <laughs> um, in terms of interesting discussion, though, honestly, I, I think I have to go with um, probably, oh gosh, uh, Monogatari. Because, like, if it hasn't been for this podcast, I'm not sure if I ever would have actually started watching Monogatari. And he would have not <laughs> discovered Shinobu. Yeah, I wouldn't have been introduced to Kiss Shot, and then how much poorer would my life have been for that? <laughs> yeah, Monogatari, because, yeah, because that's the thing, is that, like, I watch the show, you know, I get some, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, but, uh, but it's in discussing it that... I get to really dig into the thematic elements that uh, you know that the shows go that the show goes into. Uh, yeah, and so I get a lot more out of it after I've discussed it. Um, I don't know. See, you guys are Monogatri. I have to admit, some of our JoJo's Bizarre Adventure discussions were. Bizarre. Oh, those were very fun. Yeah. jojo in fact to this day jojo uh i can't listen i can't hear walk like egyptian comes on the radio and i can't the only thing i can pick is the out card for the the desert it's just like you know it's, it's, it's thank you jojo for permanently burying that into my mind <laughs> yeah yeah jojo jojo was also a very fun one discuss um, and, and i mean as far as interesting i think some of the things we got into on legend of the galactic heroes oh yeah yeah that's that's another good point because like yeah I, I, i'm not i may have that was tougher in terms of like whether i would have watched it or not um i, I may have watched it anyway just because um uh my friend uh uh, uh formerly weed weed lord vegeta uh, and now his Twitter handle is at, at Ansem underscore ebooks, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I still would have watched it, but, um, yeah, I'll, much like what you were saying with, um, Amon Ogatri, uh, a lot of the enjoyment out of that comes from the discussion you have later. Uh, LOGH was, like, vastly improved for me from its already, like, great status by, how much we were able to talk about it and really like dissect its politics and and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, so. I got a, I I got a lot of enjoyment out of discussing like the economics and politics of like of the sh of what was going on in this show. <laughs> Cuz economics and... economics and economics and political science is my jam. <laughs> well, what, one of the crazier moments that I can think of in the past is when we were doing girls and panza, and they were, you were you were going on about artillery shells hitting the tanks and the girls not getting. And I told you guys to watch the ten and a half episode where they show how the tanks are padded on the inside. And Aaron's going, "Really, really?" I'm like, "Yeah, really." Man, girls in Panzer is another good example of a show that I never would have given the time of day without Bogacast because I would have just seen it and gone like, "Really, another cute girls show? Turn it off." 
Like, it was only because... I'm not even sure if I watched... I can't remember if I even watched the first episode. I think it might have been Larry's insistence that it was, like, actually really good that made me watch it. I can't remember anymore. It's been so long since we watched that thing. But, yeah, I never would have even given that thing a chance if it hadn't been for BakaCast. Well, and, and and on that vein, there was one more. It's uh, Bodacious Space Pirates. I might have given that show a chance, um, but yeah, it was. That was one where I'm not sure the discussion was like philosophically interesting, uh, in the same way that like Monogatari and LGH were. But it was like very fun, and like even though the show wasn't bad enough to like rip into in the same way we did Gothic. There was still like enough goofy stuff that we could get some enjoyment of like lightly ribbing it. Well, Wait, bodacious, just... bodacious space parts? No, yeah. we we like that show. Oh yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. We did like that show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm saying that the the jokes we made about it in the reviews were didn't come from the same place that they were for say Gossip, where we were very much like MST3King that show. Uh, like we still we still sort of. We still like made fun of uh, bodacious space pirates a lot and joked about it a lot, but it was in a far more loving fashion because we actually generally generally enjoyed the show. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, yeah, we were. I mean, because yeah, it had some it had some silly elements. Yeah, but it was, it was o- all... over, overall very overall good overall well a well made show. I, mean, I also remember it being part of a trend of like cool moms in anime that we were watching. Yes. <laughs> well, the the two points of that show that stood out to me was the uh, close to the end where uh, Marika and Chiaki are singing the pirate song, and they show the recording session, and you know it's like Chiaki's in there burying her head in a pillow, screaming, "Why did I do this?" And then the uh, other one would be when uh, Kuri dresses up to go uh, scarf parts for the ship after it gets beat up, and then everybody really realizes what Kuri looks like under all that funny glasses and everything else. And <laughs> oh yeah, and, and you know, see, and, and McDougal goes, "So uh, you're going to start dressing like this?" And she's like, "No way in hell." <laughs> see, the the thing I will always remember about Bodacious Space Pirates, um, and will love it for, is that it is. I think the only anime so far I've seen that actually has a lesbian wedding in it. Like, explicitly a lesbian wedding. Yes. <laughs> Although, come on, Marika and Chiaki are my OTP. They should have made I mean, that happen. <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree. But uh, also, like, they... I, I do admire them for actually, like, going all the way with at least one of the lesbian couples. Yes. That is like, true. Do- McDougal and company went right. Yep, like you, you never see that happen. Basically, well, um, they, they, like I said, and we figured it would be, you know, uh, kind of like, and it never really was a harem anime, and and like girls and pants, or there was not a whole lot of. Uh, in fact, I don't think there was very little, if any, uh, fan service in it. And I mean, yeah. I'm ta- I'm talking fan service where you're like, uh, really? You, you know, we could have gone all day without that kind of fan service. No, yes, because the true fan service in Girls and Panzer is the tanks. The tanks yes. are the real heroes. Yes. 
You know, and I mean, after watching a few things that I have watched, you know, I, I, I do have a realization what fan service is. Sometimes I wish I didn't have that realization, but yeah, I do have a realization what fan service is. Uh, <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, before, more before we make this more, entire more, thing about Venetia Space Pirates. And fan <laughs> service. Uh, moving right along. All right. Yeah. Let's talk next. Like, well, okay. Third question. Um, I know time zones make it hard, but do you think you'll ever get Scamp back on for a reunion show? He's still watching and reviewing anime. I, I know particularly he's been raving about Maiden Abyss even to the end of the season, and when I heard Dustin giving up on it, I could only think how interesting it would have been if Scamp had been on to debate the matter. I think that could have, kind of would have ended up uh, in the same way that our disagreement on uh, the latter part of... Um, uh, Daily Lives of High School Boys was where <laughs> Scamp tells me I'm wrong and I tell Scamp he's wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I get I get your point. Um, it's it's something I, I have sort of rolled around in my head as a, as a possibility. Time zones definitely are an issue. Um, wow. But it, it would be fun to get him back on for like an episode maybe. Um, yes. I'll, I'll I'll see if I can pass the idea by him. I would have I would really like to have been able been there when Scamp was on the show because uh, I didn't come on the show uh, until Scamp had left. Yeah, it. those were some memorable. <laughs> oh yes, those were some. All right. Moving on to Fathomless Blues questions. A few brief brief notes now that I've caught up. If you like the Matryoshka dolls scene in My Hero Academy 35, maybe try out the two Season 1 OVAs as they feature in at least one of those. I saw them a while back in unofficial web quality, so it might be a pirate's life for you if you decide to track them down. Also, they sort of kind of hit that Froppy is a lesbian, which I'm not sure how I feel about. I'm still shipping her with my sweet boy Tokoyami. Yeah, that's, that is an issue where I'm divided on as well. Because... Um... I, I like the idea of Fro Froppy x Tokoyami. But I also see the appeal of, of <clears throat> lesbian Froppy. It's, it's, a diff it's a difficult life. Just think of all she can do with that tongue. Oh, God. Oh, Aaron. <laughs> oh, boy. Go away. I had to do it. Go I know. Away. Go away, Aaron. Uh, uh, I mean, Tokoyami basically has two of him. I'm just saying. All right. If you ever decide to go down the Pat Labor route, it's probably best to watch the original Mamoru Oshii directed six episode OVA and the first two movies. As the 47 episode TV show and later New Files OVA series fall under a separate timeline. I'll be interesting to see what you think. Contrary to most expectations, Pat Labor is, a more, is more of a low level sitcom with some outlandish aspects than a standard serious mecha show. The OVA will give you a good taste of that, while the movies are a much more serious affair, especially the second film. It's probably my favorite all-time movie, but I also love meditative slow burns, and they often don't seem to gel with Dustin, in TV shows at least. I'll have you know, I did just watch uh, 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 Blade Runner 2049 with Aaron, and if there is any movie that is slow and meditative, it is Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it kind of depends for me, I guess. Uh, also try out Dominion Tank Police, another classic. Oh yeah, some Dominion Tank Police is the one with the cat girls, right? Uh, I don't know. Never saw it. 
I did. Yeah, I, it totally is. I did see the uh, the forty seven episode uh, Pat Labor TV show. And I, yeah, I liked it a yeah. lot. Yeah, this is the promo art for Dominion Tank Police. <laughs> it's extremely eighties. Oh. Look at that hair. That is the that is the most eighties hair ever. Uh, this is called yeah. mullet. <clears throat> anyway, but yeah, the, the I remember I the I remember Fast Karate for the Gentleman talking about Dominion Tank Police, which I talk about Fast Karate for the Gentleman a lot. Uh, if you like listening to anime podcasts and somehow enjoy this podcast, I'm somehow. not sure why. Uh, please listen to Fast Karate because they are way funnier than I could ever hope to be. Um, and they cover a lot of good old stuff. Well, both good and also quotation marks good. Uh, and Dominion Tank Police is one of those, and their episode about it was very, very good. Uh, one of those old olds. Uh, but yeah, also, uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to try and put on my most sarcastic voice for this. It's great to hear you dropped abyss. No, really, I'm not being bitter or passive aggressive at all. It's 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 what that you replace it with more Dragon Ball. Wonderful. That's a much better choice than silly old Hunter Hunter, a show that absolutely nobody still raves about as being the best shonen ever. You know what, Dustin? I can't blame you for this. You always were going to struggle on that daunting task without a loose Luke-esque gym partner offering positive reinforcement. No, I put the blame squarely on Ben's shoulders. It's you, Ben, that should have been aggressively and obnoxiously bringing up the show every episode, getting Dusty increasingly frustrated about hearing about it, because you know that deep down there's no such thing as psychological fandom bullying, and that it was truly for his own good. It's you that should have been going, well, actually, every time Larry mentioned level E or tried to convince us that Magi, the Seven Deadly Sins, or Blue Exorcist were prime examples of the Shonen formula and <laughs> worth watching over, over a significantly better series. So yes, my question is simply this. Ben, how exactly did you mess up this badly, and what will you do to atone for your sins? Explain yourself. Peace. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Okay, yes. you know, there's trolling and there's so trolling. So yes, Ben, how did, how did you fail me? I said, there's trolling and there's trolling and that's yeah. trolling. Yeah. Yeah, the thing about that was, as far as Made in Abyss, like, like there was a, there was a long, there was a stretch of episodes where I wasn't really feeling it until episode 10, when, which was like, right when shit got real. And then Dustin dropped it. I should, yeah, I should have pushed harder about that because because after because after episode ten, when it when when things you know when it got real, I was loving that show. I thought it was great. Uh, I should have I should have pushed harder for it, and I should definitely you, should have I definitely should be pushing harder for Hunter Hunter because man, that show is awesome. Yeah, you should yeah, totally be watching that. I know, I just... I really like Vegeta, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you're... I'm sorry, I like Dragon Ball. I know it's worse, but it's also... I like it. It's a, Dragon Ball is addictive. <laughs> I am the trashiest of Shonen fans. Well, not the trashiest, no, because no, I don't no. like... Because I, I don't like High School DXD or whatever the hell that show is. 
but oh, the that, way, that's waste the of trashiest. Artistic genius. Oh, wait a minute, was it? That's genius? the trashiest Shonen fan. Um, well, but double DXD. Yeah, yeah. I am. I, I'm. I'm I am the fake shonen nerd. <laughs> the, the one who watches the mainstream stuff. <laughs> because I'm terrible. Um, but yeah. Also, like, I honestly do think Dragon Ball Super is significantly better than Dragon Ball Z was. Um, Dragon Ball Z, looking back on it, was not a good show. It was very... It was a definitive show. It was a culturally significant show, but it was not a good one. I think Dragon Ball Super is an actually good shonen show. Um, because, like, I'm up to, like, episode 80 now, I think. Um, and I'm now pretty convinced that, like, once it gets past the dumb retellings of the movies uh, and into its own stuff, it has much yeah. better character work, much better pacing, uh, much more inventive and interesting fight scenes. Yeah. It just improves on the Dragon Ball Z formula the, in every way imaginable. The dumb retellings of the movie stopped at episode 28. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once, it get pa- once it gets past uh, the Golden Frieza stuff, that's when it like really commits to its own stuff uh, and gets significantly better and to actually be a like really solid example of a shonen show um and does and fixes almost all the issues i had with the original dragon ball z um and also it it utilizes its characters way better than dragon ball z did like there was always a very accurate joke of um of krillin just being completely useless and why he just there to die and motivate goku um in Dragon Ball Super, every character serves a purpose, and they make Krillin relevant not by making him more powerful, but by essentially making him the Joseph Joestar, like the young Joseph Joestar of Dragon Ball, where he beats people by just thinking 17 moves ahead and being extremely clever. Uh... So yeah, that was always that was always what annoyed me about Dragon Ball was that they didn't leave is that the parts that I saw didn't leave enough room for smart tactical thinking. Um, and yeah, it was all about is... yeah because you know because winning was all about becoming more powerful and going through this training going through trainings so that you become stronger and yeah it, I always. I always got really annoyed by that horse hockey. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd say that like there are still fights where it's very much knockdown, drag out, power level matters, but it is much less of an influence than it was in Dragon Ball Z. Again, the characters are utilized way better, where it's not just like the Goku solves everything show. Um, though I do still I, I, think they know, rely on like... Goku a bit more than they should. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that could be almost a good title for it, Goku Solves Everything Show. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. See, that's why... Hu- uh, see, sorry that's... for failing you, Fathomless Blue. See, that's why Hunter Hunter... That's why Hunter Hunter is the best shonen. Because... <laughs> because they... Because it's never... Because it's never just about the power levels. It's always about... It's always about the tactics. 
know, he's selling that show real hard there, Dustin. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, he's starting to take Fathomless Blues yeah. critiques to heart. Oh, yes. On Toonami, actually, Toonami is uh, in the middle of the Greed Island arc. They're, replay- they're uh, playing that. They've also they have also started rerunning Outlaw Star. Again. And of course the infamous episode won't be shown. What is with these people? Alright. Anyway, so yeah. that'll do it for yeah. this episode of BakaCast. We're pretty much done uh, in. Yeah. I'd, I'm not sure where to go from here. Thank you for your critique, Fabulous Blue. Yeah, and, I love uh, you, even if you hate me. <laughs> okay, so and tell people where they can send cards, letters of condolences, uh, whatever else we're yeah, getting in the mail this week. I don't remember. Mail if was- you too wish to tell me how terrible I am for continuing to watch Dragon Ball instead of Hunter Hunter. Uh, because I have garbage <laughs> taste in shows. Uh, please send uh, your comment to www.projectharhi.net or www.audioentropy.com uh, or um, send an email to bakacast at projectharhi.net or just break me or, or just make it per- or just like personalize it and break me on Twitter <laughs> at stills the GM. And you can uh, yes. and you can break me on Twitter at DeathSlinky. If you guys want to find me, you know where to find me by now, so I ain't going to repeat it again. Just beware, because Larry has trapped his has trapped his house Home Alone style. So yeah, yeah, just uh, <laughs> careful where you step. Actually, I got this small person that helps me with booby traps. He's he's marvelous. All right, uh, Ben, Dustin, three, two, one. Kitterbush. Ta, ta, y'all.